Now, with the latest from the world of technology, this is the Tech Guide Podcast with Stephen Fennick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading once again. Tech Guide. Well, without a doubt, the biggest tech story of the week. Tech Guide. It's a very competitive market, the smartphone market. Keeping you updated and educated. This is a device that combines a tablet, a laptop, and a sketch pad. This is the Tech Guide Podcast. This is the future. Wireless earphones. Tech Guide. What you see is what you get. Quality is obvious. Now, from the studios of techguide.com.au, Stephen Fennick. Tech Guide, episode 284. Hello and welcome to the podcast that keeps you updated and educated about the latest consumer tech news and reviews. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading, and thank you for tuning in if you are for the first time. We're glad you found us. We hope you enjoy the show. My name is Stephen Fennec, and I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, rumors fly after Samsung announces the Galaxy S9 launch date. Aussie Broadband shakes up its NBN plans with flexible data allowances and DJI unveils its new Mavic Air drone. In the Tech Guide reviews, Apple's AirPods and what to do if you lose one. Whirlpool's new smart appliances and how they can work together, and Garmin's new Golf GPS band. And we're going to finish up with the biggest Tech Guide help desk ever. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, Australia's number one brand of home Wi-Fi products, and Norton, the company to help keep you and your family safe online. A gigantic show for you, so let's get into it. Well, Samsung are already off the blocks with an announcement uh, of the Galaxy S9, their new flagship smartphone. They've already announced that they are going to announce that uh, they're going to unveil the phone on February the 26th, which happens to be right at the start of the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. Tech Guide will be there. But Samsung has already staked that ground to say that is the day we're going to take the covers off the new Galaxy S9. The S8 was launched in 2017, shortly after Mobile World Congress. I think Mobile World Congress, which was in late February, early March last year, it's going to be the same time this year. But I think at that time a year ago, cast your mind back to what was happening then uh, for Samsung. The, the dust had only just settled with the Note 7 dramas from 2016. I think Samsung may have thought that Mobile World Congress was too soon to unveil a new phone. So what they did instead at Mobile World Congress last year, they unveiled their new Galaxy tablets. So they decided to hang back a little bit and have their own launch of the S8 in New York, which was in late March and uh, that was a massive success. The launch went off without a hitch. The phone's one of the best sellers of all time for Samsung. They followed that, of course, a few months later with another successful launch of their other device, the Note 8. And again, that's been doing really well. And here we are again. Uh, the next the next one in line is the Galaxy S9. And of course, Samsung are going to take advantage of having the world at this Mobile World Congress show. It is the biggest mobile phone and mobile Networks trade show. Uh, it, it is f- totally focused on mobile devices, networks, content, 
all in one place. Uh, it's a great, great show and in a great city as well, Barcelona. I love Barcelona. Uh, but Samsung, I've already said, 4 a.m. Sydney time is when the event will take place on February 26th. So if anyone's keen to set the alarm clock to stream the launch live, that'll be uh, obviously uh, in the evening, I'd say, uh, in, in Barcelona. So uh, the that, this announcement, though, has sparked... Even more rumours. There have been rumours floating about about what we can expect to see with the Galaxy S9, but this has certainly stoked that fire significantly, and the rumours have really ramped up. A lot of rumours, a lot of reported leaks as well, leaked images, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, the invitation as well, uh, Samsung, when they announced it, they had a, a purple number nine with the word reimagined inside the circle of, of the nine. And next to it, it said, it said the camera, full stop, reimagined. So obviously the camera is going to be a large focus, one of the new features that Samsung is teasing for this new product. Now, here is what we know about the Galaxy S9. And take just keep in mind, I'm taking in and sorting through all the rumors, what appears consistent, what appears to be uh, closest to what we think is what we're going to see. So the popular consensus is the S9, again, available in two versions with a 5.8-inch display. The S9 Plus will have a 6.2-inch display, virtually the same as before. Design-wise, almost identical. You're still going to have that zero bezel-less look. But this time around, I notice in the top of the device, and I've got a, the, one of the leaked images that, uh, that someone shared on Twitter, there do appear to be more cameras, more sensors, more stuff above the screen than the S8. I know with the S8, uh, with the S8, Samsung deliberately uh, maybe toned them down so you couldn't see them as clearly, but it does appear that there are more sensors, more cameras on the front. We'll get to that, the reason behind that in a minute. Uh, the other news is that it's going to be powered by the Qualcomm Snapdragon 845 processor. I think Samsung going to have first crack at that new silicon from from Qualcomm. Four gig of RAM for the S9, reportedly, and six gig of RAM for the S9 Plus. So I think Samsung's really making the S9 Plus the premium of the two products because I understand that the S9 Plus will also have more onboard storage, 128 gig versus 64 gig on the S9, which is interesting. Uh, getting back to the design, it does look almost the same apart from those sensors and cameras. Now, the, the rumor is that there are n more sensors on the top of the device to give it improved facial recognition and Face ID that will then bring it in line with products like the uh, Apple's iPhone X. Uh, the S8 and S8 Plus did have face recognition, facial recognition. You could unlock the phone with your face, but unfortunately somebody proved that you could actually unlock the phone with a photograph of the person, of the owner, rather than, than their own face, which was a little bit embarrassing for Samsung. 
and hence the reason why myself included people decided to turn away from the face being the face recognition being the primary security of the device we stuck with the the uh, fingerprint reader speaking of the fingerprint reader one of the uh, complaints from customers uh, including myself I, I did note this in my review one of the complaints was that the fingerprint reader was located on the right edge right side of the rear panel so the array behind on the rear of the phone showed uh, the flash, the lens, and the fingerprint reader. This time out, we understand the S9 will have a single lens with the fingerprint reader directly below. So it's right in the middle of the back of the device, so it's natural position where your finger would go. With the S8, you'd have to reach over a little bit to further to the right to get hold, to, to put your finger on that fingerprint reader. The S9, we understand, if these leaked images we've included in our story are to be believed, the S9 will have a dual lens camera, and again, the fingerprint reader will sit below those dual lenses with the flash just sitting beside it. So it makes more sense, I think, to have the fingerprint reader in an easy-to-reach position. It is a little bit annoying when you've got to reach over a little bit. Just that little bit, uh, that little change, I think, is going to make a big difference. Uh, in terms of the cameras, we the the back will have dual lens. Uh, if if the rumours are to be believed, S9 Plus will have a dual lens 12 megapixel camera, whereas the uh, S9 will have a single lens 12 megapixel camera. Both will have a 8 megapixel front facing camera. Although, from just looking at that image, there I count two camera lenses on the front, so it could very well be a dual-lens selfie camera as well. Now, that could lend itself to a number of new features, including things like portrait mode, so you get that depth of field on your selfies. So uh, interesting. If you can take a look at the pictures on Tech Guide for yourself, I count two cameras, one on the left, one on the right, on those leaked images. If they are genuine, then I'd say we're looking at a dual-lens front-facing camera as well. Now, when is it going to launch? Uh, we The event is on Feb 26, so Samsung don't usually muck around with uh, pre-orders. I think, think pre-orders probably follow a few days later and maybe a mid-March availability, mid-March uh, sale with for the S8 Plus, which when you look at it, I think it's only going to be like a, a, a month earlier than when it went on sale in 2017, so almost a year between them. But that's the S9. We're going to be there in Barcelona, and we're going to be talking about that, writing it all over Tech Guide. But if you want to take a look for yourself at those leaked images and check out uh, what it could look like, these are these aren't. I don't claim for these to be genuine, but they do look pretty pretty realistic. They look look legit. Check them out for yourself. You can do that at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide, keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Moving on to the NBN and Aussie Broadband has really shaken things up. They've uh, they've decided to adjust their NBN plans for not only pricing. They are some slight reductions in price there, but they've also introduced a new uh, a new th- new feature called flexible data allowances. So rather than you being pigeonholed into one allotment of data to go with the speed that you choose, so yes, you can choose your speed, 
and then for that particular speed, there is this amount of data. Well, Aussie Broadband wants to change that. They don't want you to pay for data that you might not be that you might not use. Typically, there are some telcos offering unlimited data. Aussie Broadband has resisted that because they didn't want to. Uh, well, for a couple of reasons, they didn't want to. Uh, they wanted to make it easy to manage the network. Having unlimited could result in more congestion. On, on the on their network, so they decided not unlimited. They're going to get pretty generous allowances, like a thousand gig, three thousand gig, which is three terabytes and one terabyte. Uh, but you can also a customer can choose, for example, if they're on the say the fifty plan, they can choose six hundred, seven hundred. There's a little slider on the on the website. There's a custom option that lets you then choose your data allowance. The less you choose, the slightly cheaper it'll be. So there is that possibility now to give you just that little bit of added flexibility. So not only can you choose the speed, you can also choose how much data you want to include in that plan as well. Uh, the other in, the other announcement that Aussie Broadband has made are also two new speed tiers. Now, typically from a, uh, an NBN telco, we get a 12, we get a 25, we get a 50 and 100 megabits per second down and various speeds up. Uh, in Aussie Broadband's case, they've announced two new speed tiers, uh, 150 megabits per second down, 100 megabits per second up, and they're also going to announce 250 megabits per second down and 100 megabits per second up. Now, naturally, these won't be available to everyone. We suspect, in fact, we know that these plans will only be available to customers with fibre to the premises. So you need fibre to your front door for you to get this. I'm hoping... Here's me really hoping that fiber to the curb will qualify for these higher speed plans. That's what I'm getting here in uh, in our home in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Fiber to the curb, not quite to my doorstep. There is a little bit of copper bringing it from the pit, the telecom pit into my house. Uh, I'm hoping they decide. Well, you know what? Let's just make the rest of it fiber. I might just say, listen, mate, here's a here's a here's a hundred. Make it fiber from the pit to my house. It's like seven meters. I'll buy the fiber myself. Well, we'll see if that happens. But I'm hoping that I can achieve those speeds. And I'm sure Aussie Broadband's got enough technology to know what your connection's capable of. So they're not going to sell a person with fibre to the node, for example, 150 megabits per second. They're lucky enough to get 50 fibre to the node. But I'm hoping fibre to the curb may get me over the top. At least it'll. I think at the very best, I'm hoping that I get 100 megabits per second down and 40 up, which would be great. I currently can get 100 down in good conditions, although my, my Optus broadband has been, my cable connection has been rubbish the last few days. I don't know why. I must make a phone call there. But I'm super keen to get the NBN at my place, and I'll be testing out various ISPs. I'm not going to jump into one and commit. I'm going to have a look at all of them, including Optus. I'll give them a try. But I am going to try Aussie broadband for sure. I'm going to try some other telcos as well. And the one that gives me the best result, guess what? They're going to get my business. And I think that's what you should follow that advice too. Don't think just because Telstra sends you a modem for the NBN that you're committed to using Telstra. A lot of people think, well, okay, here it is. I've got to connect this up. You have a choice. People, you exercise that choice. If you're not happy with who you've got, then try someone else. And I understand if you are already signed up to a contract, there are grounds to get out of that contract if the speed does not meet their claim. Uh, that's, uh, I think, something you can do right now if you're not happy. 
but get out there and try it and maybe Aussie Broadband's worth a try. You can tailor your data allowances to suit your needs. A great idea. If you want to read more about that story, check it out, techguide.com.au. I'm a massive drone fan. I'm actually a qualified drone pilot for those interested in offering me uh, some work, some photography work. Happy to uh, to listen to uh, what you need. I do have a license, uh, a licensed drone pilot, remote uh, line of sight license. So I'm a big drone fan. I'm also a fan of DJI, one of the biggest drone companies in the world, and they're continually uh, bringing out new drones. My current drone that I bought with my own money is the Inspire 2, which is like a professional drone that shoots incredible pictures, incredible video, movie quality stuff. So get on the blower if you want me to help you shoot your movie, do some area shots for you. Happy to chat about that. But in the meantime, DJI has unveiled a new drone. This is a consumer drone. and uh, could probably consider it an entry-level drone. It's the Mavic Air. Now, this is the follow-up to the very successful Mavic Pro. Now, that was the fold-out drone. Remember that? It was released about 16 months ago. The Mavic uh, Pro had uh, the the arms fl- uh, folded out, and it was in the shape of a drone. Well, the Mavic Air follows the, in the same footsteps, uh, not quite as big as the Mavic Pro, which is even better when you think of thinking how easy this thing is to carry around. The Mavic Air, similar fold-out prop legs, uh, not non-removable uh, pro- props on it. The propellers stay where they are. On the Mavic Pro, the props used to fold in half to make it easier to store. The props on the Mavic Air actually can't fold in half, So, but it does still fold down to the size of a smartphone, can you believe? It fits in the palm of your hand, this thing. So uh, and it's available from this week. We did go to the launch at Luna Park. DJI had all their reps in from uh, their head office in Shenzhen. They were at Luna Park for this big launch. So when Sydney's holding, hosting a, a launch, there was one in New York as well. Although yeah, having it in Sydney says a lot for how, how much business DJI must do here in Australia. The Mavic Air, it's available in three colors, white, black, and red. And it has a three-axis gimbal on the front for the camera. So you can shoot 4K with this, 12 megapixel stills, 4K video at 30 frames per second, and powerful enough to record at 100 megabits per second. So you're getting all that detail in beautiful ultra-high definition. I have given this a try, recorded some great video with it. My review will be up probably in about a week. Uh, but I, I will share the review, obviously a lot more detail, and, and j- just the videos that I created with it. Uh, but it is one of those drones, I think, that is designed for someone who... It's a great first drone for somebody because it does give you the flexibility of being able to control it with uh, dedicated remote control. You just attach your phone so you can see what you're shooting, what you're videoing. Uh, but there are enough features on board for a beginner to feel really comfortable there's a lot of on-rails features, so it, it'll, it can respond to gestures, for example. So you stick your hand out, it'll recognize you, lock onto you as a subject. You can raise your arm, your hand in front of it to take off, move your hand. It's like using the force to move it left and right. You move it left, move it right, it'll go in this little orbit around you. There are also quick shots, so you can get it to do a, an orbit. You can get it to do like a little boomerang. You can get it to do a droney. Great on-rails features. You just a press of a button – 
you select the subject and it creates these amazing videos. So really great to take with you on your holidays, on your adventures, to capture all of those images and videos that you could not normally capture. So with a drone, it does that aerial photography has just given us so much more freedom to capture amazing footage and amazing images. And the Mavic Air really steps up and provides some incredible results. Uh, it, it has a, a micro SD card slot so you can record straight to the card. There's also, for the first time, there's an internal storage, eight gigabytes of internal storage as well. So if you fall short on your memory card, you know you've got eight, meg, eight gigabytes on board as well. So that's really handy too. Flight time up to 21 minutes. Now, 21 minutes flight time is technically correct. But anyone who flies a drone, and I'll give you this tip, this is what I was taught during my my pilot lessons, that you need to set a bit of a safety barrier with the battery. With me, whenever I fly my drone, I set the, the, the low battery warning to go off at 25%, with 25% battery remaining. Reason I do that is because if I'm out over the ocean or far away from my position, and the low battery warning goes off, I know I've still got 25% of the battery to get it back to me. There's a lot of there's a lot of pilots that set 10% as their low battery warning level. And you'll be surprised how quickly 10% can burn when you are out far away or flying against the wind or uh, just, just trying to get back to your home position. So with that in mind... When they say 21 minutes of flight time, that is if you flew this thing till it dropped out of the sky. 21 minutes is a long time. My Inspire 2 can fly for about 22 minutes, 23 minutes with that safety, with 25% safety on mine. If I I was to fly to zero, it'd probably be about 27, 28 minutes. But 21 minutes is what they've quoted here. But realistically, if you put 25, even 20% safety percentage on the battery, that's going to come down to about 17 minutes, maybe 16 minutes. At 25% in the short time I've been flying it, that flight time has been brought down to about 20 to about 15 minutes, 16 minutes. If the, if the drone is close to me, if I'm over land and the low battery warning goes off, I'll keep flying it for another few minutes because I know it's, it's within reach. But having that buffer, it, it, it just a little safety barrier, a little safety feature to you, you know that you've got enough juice in the tank to get back to you safely. So 21 minutes, realistically, with a safety barrier built in, is probably more about 16, 17 minutes, I think, at best. The uh, the price is 1299 bucks, which a lot of you are saying, wow, that's expensive for a drone. But the quality you're getting here, you're getting a three-axis gimbal, 4K video, 12 megapixel stills, which look amazing. This great fold-up design, a remote control, and a case to carry it in as well. The case looks like a sunglasses case. It doesn't look big at all. So that's pretty reasonable. You're getting a pretty high-level drone here. If that's too much for you, you can always go for the DJI Spark, which is their real entry-level product. That's about $799 or $649, I think it's dropped down to now. But that doesn't come with a remote. So to get a remote, you're looking at about maybe a thousand bucks so for an extra 300 you're getting a much better drone and a remote control on top of that as well 
So something to consider. Uh, but my full review is going to be up in the in the next week or so, as long with the a video, the, all the video that I shot with it as well. But uh, there's still plenty of info if you want to check out the pictures and look at DJI's introductory video for the DJI Mavic Air. If you want to check all of that out, you can do that at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton, the company that can help keep you and your family safe online. Now, public Wi-Fi, we all use it when we travel, when we're in shopping centres. Public Wi-Fi is great, but you know what? It isn't always safe. A lot of people don't realise this. Without the right protection, your personal information could become public. There's been a number of vulnerabilities exposed. These vulnerabilities could allow attackers to intercept data transmitted across a Wi-Fi network. Personal information that's sent over the network, over the internet, or stored on your devices, things like your password, credit card numbers, banking details, and more, could become vulnerable. All this personal information can be used towards committing identity theft, such as accessing your bank accounts without your knowledge. The team at Norton are dedicated to helping you keep your valuable data safe. And to do that, you need Norton Wi-Fi Privacy, which encrypts the personal information you send and receive on public Wi-Fi to help keep it private wherever you want to log on. To help protect your information with Norton Wi-Fi Privacy, you can do that. Visit au.norton.com. Tech Guide. Now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennig. Tech Guide. Our first review, well, it's a review of a product when something happens to it, and it's the the Air, Apple's AirPods and what to do if you lose one, which is exactly what happened to me. Now, I have been using the AirPods for quite some time, and I was in a lift, getting into a lift to go down to a train station, and I remember wiping, it was a pretty hot day, I remember wiping my brow with my hanky and just glancing my AirPod, the left AirPod, it fell out of my ear, bounced once and went into the crack between the elevator and the floor. It was a one in a million shot. If I had 100 attempts at that, getting it into that little space, I would have missed every single time. But this one time, it falls out, bounces once, bonk, straight into that gap, went down. However, I think it's three levels to the ground floor, just slipped down that crack, don't know where it is. Rang the station master, explained what an AirPod was, left him my number. He explained to me, he was quite polite about it too, he was very nice about it, took my details, was was really patient and, and, and polite about it. He did explain to me though that, the lift is not controlled by the train station management. The lift is controlled by the lift company. So the maintenance of that lift is done by the lift company. And he said, well, my lift maintenance is done not every week. It's done months and months apart. It could be four or five months before before maintenance is done. So this happened a few couple of months ago, and I still haven't heard anything back. So uh, I decided, well... I need to get a new AirPod. And, and I wondered, first of all, can I do it? Do Would I have to buy a new pair of AirPods? Uh, I, I called Apple, uh, actually chatted with Apple online, and they explained to me that, yes, I could buy a single AirPod. It would cost $99 Australian dollars to get a new AirPod. 
And I thought, okay, well, that was that's the price, I guess. It's uh, cheaper than buying a new pair. Uh, so I decided, actually, I decided while I was in the U.S. to do it. And in the U.S., the cost is $69 U.S. dollars. So if you add the sales tax converted to Australian dollars, it works out to be $95. So it's only 4 bucks cheaper than having it done in Australia. So saved a few bucks, but anyway... While I was in the U.S., I went to the Westfield Century City, the Apple Store at Westfield Century City, brand new Apple Store in the in the new style with the uh, the the genius not 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 the genius bar, it's the the genius area and the avenues on either side. So the whole new design. I've written about that on Tech Guide in the past. And I walked in and said, "Okay, I'd like a new single AirPod, please." And they said, "Oh, uh, we can't just sell them to you directly. We need to make you need to make a genius bar appointment." Because they explained it did fall into the spare parts slash repair slash warranty category. So they said, look, it's going to be a 15-minute wait. Just take a seat. And I said, no worries. I've been waiting a, a few, a couple of months without an AirPod. So what's an extra 15 to 20 minutes going to do? Anyway, about 15 to 20 minutes later, a young lady came up and sent, asked me for my AirPod serial number to get the whole transaction underway. And I said, well... I don't know my serial number because my AirPod case was back in my hotel room in LA. So I didn't have the AirPod. I'm thinking, God, I've got to go back and get the case and come back to get this thing. But then I remembered that a few months earlier when I was chatting online to Apple about the possibility of a replacement, I did remember photographing the inside of the case to see if I could make out the serial number. And I did. I still had that picture on my phone. So luckily, I gave them the serial number, and they could tell just by the serial number that that, that one was lost. I'll tell you why. Because I used the Find My AirPod feature on my iPhone, and it knew that I was looking for my left AirPod, and it had remembered through that, through the association with my serial number, that this Find My AirPod the other one hadn't been paired since Find My AirPod was activated. So Apple still knew. The woman told me, yeah, look, you have, there is one missing. And she then went out and came back with a small bag, a little foam bag with a single left AirPod inside. And then she gave me the instructions of what I needed to do to pair this brand new AirPod to its lonely right AirPod, the remaining AirPod, and the case. So here's what I had to do. She told me I needed to put the replacement left AirPod into the case with the right one, plug the case into a charger and set a 10-minute timer, which I did. After 10 minutes, I was told to open the case and press and hold the button on the rear of the case uh, until I see a pulsing white light. That worked out, and then she said, pair the AirPod to your to your iPhone, and lo and behold, they were paired again together again, and I was listening to my both of my AirPods once again. Still haven't got a call from the train station manager. Knowing my luck, I'll get a call saying, oh, by the way, we found your AirPod. And what I'll end up having is a spare AirPod now, which uh, is something, of course, that would be handy to keep. Hopefully the right AirPod doesn't get lost because I'll have two left AirPods if that's the case. But let's, let's not think about that. I'm not going to let that happen again. Uh, that is what happens when you have to replace an AirPod. Uh, it was a little bit more complicated than I thought, but in the end, worth the trouble. You want to read that story, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick.
Rounding up one of our stories that we gathered at CES, uh, we had a look at the Whirlpool stand, their booth at the, the Consumer Electronic Show. Whirlpool's a company with a lot of smart appliances. We're talking smart ovens, smart fridges, smart washing machines, and also smart apps as well that they developed, a great cooking app. So we uh, decided to have a tour. You can view our video, actually, of our, our tour of the Whirlpool smart appliances at CES. And let's just say they've got uh, smart refrigerators that can uh, go into party mode so they can produce more ice, chill uh, drinks faster. There's also a holiday mode on their on their fridges so that the, the fridge works at its minimal power. So it powers right down, almost hibernates while you're away, so it's not using too much power. Uh, the other products we saw were the connected stoves and connected ovens, which you can you can't believe how smart they are. So would you believe that grabbing, you can grab a item out of the freezer, for example, scan a barcode, and that information can be sent directly to the stove or the oven, which receives the information like cooking time, cooking temperature, all of that info is there. You just got to open the packet, well, scan the barcode, open the packet and put it in the oven or put it in the microwave, and it's just going to cook it how it's meant to be cooked. Very impressive. The other impressive part is their new app, which is called Yumly. That's Y-U-M-M-L-Y, Yum with an M-L-Y on the end. Yumly is their interesting new app that they've created that also communicates with their ovens and stoves and other products. And what it does, really impressive feature, it can scan your ingredients. So say you got to, you take all everything out on your bench, you might have your veggies, your fruits, whatever you're using to cook your vegetables would be for your meal. And you've got your proteins there as well. So chicken, fish, meat, whatever you've got. Yumly can recognize it and identify each of the ingredients. So say you've got a, a capsicum, a artichoke, broccoli, uh, and you've got some chicken. And it'll then scan all those things, recognize them, and then present you with recipes you can make, meals you can make using those ingredients. Really super impressive. And what's even more impressive is that you can tell the app that you you might be a celiac, so you you need gluten-free, you're allergic to this sort of food, you don't like that. And it takes all those into account as well. So those individual requirements and allergies, whatever you happen to have, that's taken into account so that when you, it comes to suggesting meals to cook, all that is done. Really impressive stuff. The other thing we saw on their stand was a microwave that is actually in the shape of a range hood. So you think about this as a product for maybe someone living in a small apartment where you may not have room for a dedicated microwave slot and you can, above the stove, insert a range hood that's also a microwave. So it's not quite as deep as a regular microwave. It certainly is wide, but you can. it still does everything a microwave does. And underneath is still a range hood. So when you're cooking on the stove, all the range hood is still working, but above it is a microwave. Really impressive. Rounding out the whole tour, we did look at their washing machines, and this was impressive as well. There's little smarts that just make those little 10%ers that make it a little bit easier. Now, in the case of the Whirlpool washing machine, what it does is you can load up to 20 times the amount of detergent. So 20 doses of detergent, let's say, you can put in the washing machine. So more, more than 20 washers you can handle with what you load into the, into the washing machine. So you can put that in. 
when you put your washing in, the Whirlpool washing machine is smart enough. It's a washer-dryer, by the way, too, so it dries close to. But it is intelligent enough to weigh your clothes in the machine and then dispense the right amount of detergent based on the weight of that load. Such a smart, seems only small, but a really smart feature. You don't have to worry, oh, is this too much? Is this too little? The washing machine can do it for you. The washing machine does the heavy lifting. Really interesting products and definitely worth a look. If you want to check them out, you can do that at techguide.com.au. Now, to all you golfers out there, we've got a little product you may be interested in. And I'm a golfer myself. I'm a member at St. Michael's uh, out at uh, Little Bay. Haven't played for a little while, but uh, I do intend to get back out on the course, and I intend to also take the Garmin Approach X10 with me. It's a GPS golf band that's preloaded with, can you believe, more than 41,000 golf courses from around the world. So you can take this on a holiday. A lot of people take uh, clubs on a trip, so you may rock up to a, a golf course halfway around the world, and guess what? The Approach X10 is going to know where you are and what course you're playing. So you can see exact distances to the front, back, middle of the green. Uh, it's got a one-inch touchscreen display, which is really easy to read in bright sunlight. Water-resistant design, so if you're playing in the rain or if you've got to get a bit of a sweat up, you, you're covered. Battery lasts up to 12 hours in GPS mode. So this looks more like a, a fitness tracker rather than a dedicated golf watch. So it is a little bit more discreet. Uh, it can also t- give you display uh, to tell you where the hazards are. It'll display hazards like bunkers, water, give you information about the, the layout and the dog legs as well, uh, and will naturally using GPS transition as you move from hole to hole. So it is really handy knowing that, okay, there's that far for a layup. It's a dog leg left. And then when you get close to the green, you can actually see the shape of the green, see front, middle, back of the green, the distances there. You can even uh, adjust the pin placement to suit that day's pin placement. So you just press and hold and move the pin to where approximate where it is for that particular day. Uh, that ha- That's handy as well. It'll, there's also a way to measure your shot distances so that you get a better idea on your club selection. So you know, okay, a six iron, I normally hit 120 metres, and then you, you can use that information for planning your next shot. So if you know it's a 120 metres to the front of the green, you think, okay, I can hit a six iron that far. And you think, well, it just gives you a bit more confidence then to know what, what your lengths are you're achieving with your clubs. Really handy. And, and any golfer will tell you, uh, me included, that anything that you can use to help you cut some shots off your game, get you lower, lower your handicap, get you shave off those those shots, people are willing to give it a try. And having the Garmin X10, the Approach X10, it's like having a caddy on your wrist. The caddy giving you the goss, giving you the inside info. Yeah, you know what? It's 120 to the front of the green, and we know you hit a 6-iron that far or an 8-iron that far. Uh, so you know exactly how far it is to the back. If the pin's towards the back of the of the green, you get a better read of that as well. So it is like having a caddy in your on your wrist. The Garmin X10 is available for, from next month. It's going to be priced at two hundred and forty nine bucks. And if uh, if you're a golfer, two forty nine bucks is nothing. You probably spend twice that much on your putter. Be honest. You probably spend a lot more than that on your clubs. A box of golf balls go, or costs almost that much. Two hundred forty nine bucks. The Garmin Approach X10. If you want to check it out, 
techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finney. Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear, Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Well, you already know Arlo by Netgear, the worldwide leader in smart home security and creator of the world's first 100% wire-free, weatherproof HD security camera. Well, now you can get to know the new Arlo Pro with even more features, including two-way audio that allows you to talk to your kids, your pets, or whoever's at your front door right from your smartphone. Arlo Pro is a quick, rechargeable batteries, night vision, and live on-demand streaming and, yes, still 100% wire-free and weatherproof so you can easily monitor your entire property inside and out. Arlo Pro takes just a few minutes to set up so you can check in on your home or your business from anywhere using the free Arlo app on your phone, tablet or computer. Know what's happening in real time with advanced motion detection and never miss a moment with free cloud recordings for seven days. Visit arlo.com forward slash au for more info. Arlo and the new Arlo Pro by Netgear, every angle covered. Answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. As promised at the top of the show, we are going to give you the biggest ever Tech Guide Help Desk. Uh, we're going to kick it off with a couple of voice bites. And as I said in the past, voice bites get a priority here. If you record us a question, record us a little review like you're going to hear, you will get priority. We're going to play it first on the help desk. So if you've got a question you want to ask me, instead of emailing it to me, record it using voice bite, hashtag tech guide. I'll get it, download it, and play it on the show. Your voice will be on the show with me. First up, let's hear from Ross. I've just purchased a Swan Smart Security Camera Wireless Twin Pack. After pairing both cameras, we cannot get a live feed on our iPad. All the devices please wait offline. And when internet is working fine, and we've also reset the cameras to no avail. Any help or ideas would be appreciated. Great question, Ross. And what we can suggest, what we think the problem is there, and this is a common problem not being able to view your cameras remotely, and this can include a product like the Ring doorbell, which I want to talk about in a minute as well on the help desk. You need to provision your modem. You need to make sure your modem is capable of what they call port forwarding. Now, this is the ability for your modem to send a signal out for you. So there's a device connected on your network, in this case a security camera, the ability for your modem to forward that out, so port forwarding to you remotely, that is what's possibly preventing Ross's uh, cameras from sending him that signal for him to view remotely. So get into your modem settings, enable port forwarding. Next up, we've got a little mini review from Michael. I would describe the Apple Watch as being the perfect second screen for your iPhone. I don't have to touch my phone as much anymore these days because the watch just gives me a little view into what's happening by way of notifications, and I absolutely love the activity tracking stuff. So pretty glowing review there. That's a 15-second review. You can send us in your reviews for a product you love or hate. In this case, Michael loves his Apple Watch. And I've got to say, I agree. I wear my Apple Watch, my Series 3 Apple Watch, which has built-in cellular connection. I did actually pop down to the post office today, forgot my phone at home. But not to worry. I had my Apple Watch Series 3, and if there were any calls or texts coming through, in fact, I received a text message while I was out, I can still read them and receive the calls on Apple Watch Series 3, which is, uh, I think, the 
the feature that I think tipped a few people, I think Michael, by the sounds of it, that feature was one of the decisions, reasons he made the decision to buy the Apple Watch. There, there, there are a lot of people being sort of umming and ahhing over the first two versions of Apple Watch. I think that feature is probably one thing that sold a lot of new customers. Moving right along, uh, I was uh, asked about... There was a reader who told me that the neighbours complain sometimes that their dogs bark too much. Uh, they said it happens when they're not home. Is there a way for me to know when they're barking? Answer to that is yes, and you can you can set audio notifications on a security camera like the Arlo Pro, which I spoke about earlier. Netgear is one of our sponsors. Arlo Pro, there is a there is a way for you to receive audio notification. You know, when there's movement, you get a motion, the, the motion notification. You can set it to receive audio notification as well. So the sound of a dog, in this case, would be pretty loud, so the camera would be near where the dogs would be. You can then get a, a notification and then view the video for yourself to not only see the dogs but hear them as well so that, yep, uh, she can check if the dogs are barking and the neighbours, they're not just making this stuff up, that it's actually happening. So that's uh, uh, one thing they can do there. Uh, now, following on from Ross's voice bite about his problem viewing his security cameras, I did receive an email from a listener asking me about, I, I reviewed the Ring 2 video doorbell and, and worked. it worked great for me. I gave it a great review. Uh, this reader said that some of his, he'd read of, of a woman who it was really slow to get through to the doorbell remotely. Uh, why was why does what was my setup and why did it work for me and not working for her? Uh, well, my setup is I've got Optus cable uh, connection here, which is usually pretty good. But what I think is important is the upload speed. My upload speed is rubbish. It's less than one megabit per second, but I can still look at my. If someone rings my doorbell, I can answer it anywhere. I've answered it in another country. And this person said he had two megabits per second upload speed, which is twice what I had, so it should be work fine for him. So I, I did suggest it might have even been a port forwarding issue that I mentioned with Ross's security cameras. But in this case, uh, I just think you need fast enough upload speed. Download speed's one thing. Upload speed's what's going to help you get a better, a, a quicker look into the Ring video doorbell. Another question I had was from a lovely old lady, and she that was by her admission. She says, I'm, a, I'm, an, old, I'm an old girl. Uh, she's getting rid of Foxtel, her, Foxtel IQ, and her question was, how do people record TV shows nowadays? She used to use the IQ3. So her question was, how do people record TV nowadays? And my answer, there's two ways you can do it. Number one, if you've got a recent smart TV, there is smarts built in where all you need to add is an external hard drive. And then the, the menu, the system on the TV can then record it, store it on your hard drive, and the menu system then allows you to go back, look at what you recorded, and play back. So all you need to do is buy a $100 external hard drive, boom, you've got a recorder on your TV. The other choice, if you've got an older TV, is to buy a set-top box with a high-definition TV tuner on board and also a built-in hard drive. So set-top box with a memory, or if your TV can support it, just add an external hard drive. could be a little portable hard drive, and you, you, uh, you can record and watch your stuff on your telly. Last one. I told you this was going to be a big help desk. The last question on the help desk this week is a question regarding the Foxtel Now box, which has built-in Chromecast. And our reader asked the question, with Chromecast, are they able to send the Foxtel Now signal to another TV using Chromecast? 
answer to that is no, you can't. Chrome, Chromecast on Foxtel Now Box works if you want to send any kind of content to the box. So it can, say you want to watch YouTube or you've got some, some content on your phone you want to view on your TV, you can use the Chromecast built-in for that purpose. If you want to watch Foxtel Now on another telly, then buy a standalone Chromecast which is, I think, about 60 70 bucks. connect that to your TV, and then you can stream Foxtel from your smartphone or tablet. So if you do want to watch Foxtel Now in another room where the Foxtel Now box isn't, get a Chromecast and use the app to cast the shows to that television. That there is the biggest help desk we've ever had. Again, if you want to be part of the help desk, you want to hear your voice on our show, Use our Voice Bite app. It's free for iOS and Android. Download the app. I help create it as uh, with my me and my brother created it together. But we are using this so that you can get your voice heard on the podcast. So download Voice Bite hashtag Tech Guide. Record your question, your mini review, broadcast. I'll get it and play it on the show. Uh, all those th- things we've talked about, Arlo Pro, the Ring 2, you can read all our stories about all them, Foxtel, Nowbox, uh, Apple Watch, everything that they've mentioned in the help desk, you can read at techguide.com.au. And that is the end of our show. Can you believe it? That went so fast. That's the end of the show for this week. You can read about everything that we've spoken about, of course, at techguide.com.au. If you want to get in touch with us, again, VoiceBite's going to get preference, so please record your question, record your review, just say day. Use VoiceBite. I'll play your voice on the Tech Guide podcast. You'll be the envy of all your friends. We want to give a special shout-out, too, to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can help keep you and your family safe online. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.